Coming to you from the Center for Social Confidence in Portland, Oregon. Welcome to Shrink for the Shy Guy. Helping men everywhere go from social anxiety to social domination. With your host, Dr. Aziz. Hey, welcome to another episode of Shrink for the Shy Guy. I'm Dr. Aziz, and if you would like to go deeper in the show, go to shrinkfortheshyguy.com. You can uh, find show notes. You can ask me questions there that I'll respond to in um, the Ask the Shrink segments that I do. And also, you can get a copy of my ebook there for free, which is Five Steps to Unleash Your Inner Confidence. And that is full of specific steps that you can take right now to systematically build your confidence in any area of your life. So that's a, um, a great book to get started with that will really guide you. And, you know, even maybe you downloaded it a long time ago, go back and reread it. You just might find that there's certain things you're doing and, and maybe certain things you forgot about. And I've had people tell me that, oh, I went back and I never realized this when I read the third step. So uh, check it out. That can really help you. Go to shrinkfortheshyguy.com. Today's episode is the third in a series uh, called Unusual Cures for Social Anxiety. This is Unusual Cures for Social Anxiety number three. And this is all about ayahuasca. Oh, yes. And it's something you might have heard of and something you may not have heard of. And I'm excited to share more with you. I am going to put the caveat on this one because it is a controlled substances. In some states, it's legal. Um, in Oregon, it happens to be legal. That's where I live. But in many other states, it is illegal. And uh, so, and it's a, it's a substance. So I need to put my disclaimer here which is that uh, this is in no way me operating as a psychologist uh, in prescribing anything that's going to be intended to uh, treat any psychological condition. This is purely for um, educational entertainment purposes only. And this is purely about my own experiences, what I've seen in others. And it is in no way condoning you to do anything illegal or to ingest anything of any kind. Uh, that is totally up to you and your own discretion and you should consult with your own doctor, lawyer, um, pope, <laughs> and anyone else who could make decisions for you. There, having said that, go drink ayahuasca, man. No, uh, you know, here's just some stuff that might open your mind or, or give you some insight into to some experiences that really helped me. So basically, for those of you who don't know, ayahuasca is a tea, I guess you would call it. It's a liquid, brown liquid that is that produced, it, yeah, it's made in other places now like Hawaii, but it originally comes from South America, from the rainforest in Brazil. And it is a unique mixture of two plants, um, some sort of vine and some sort of other leaf plant. Those of you who are botanists are like shaking your head at my lack of clear knowledge. But in any case, it's a pretty fascinating story. Uh, it, this comes from, it was discovered by you know, tribes in the Amazon thousands of years ago. And what they would do is they have this really elaborate process where they cook down this um, part of this vine and these leaves and they mix these two plants together. And independently, these plants would have no effect if you were to ingest them. But if you cook them in this very specific way and you mix them, it has this very powerful psychoactive effect. And when uh, Western people ask the shamans who, who kind of led this ceremony in their tribes, uh, they said, like they said, how did you know to mix these two plants? There's thousands of plants in the jungle here. And their answer is awesome. They said that the plants 
told us to do it. So there you go. If you can be a lot more, you know, they're probably a lot more tuned into nature than we are and, and living in cities and houses and whatnot. But uh, fascinating that this is uh, what emerged. In any case, it uh, is a powerful psychoactive substance in the sense that it affects your mind, your thought process, your consciousness, your awareness, as well as your physical body. And uh, I mean, people can have what we might call hallucinations or, but you know, I don't know, not necessarily seeing a pink elephant running through the room or something like that. More so um, distortions in the visual field with your eyes open, seeing lines of energy. If you've ever done any sort of psychoaptic uh, substance like uh, psilocybin mushrooms or LSD, something like that. Uh, Also, a lot of stuff happening with your eyes closed, seeing a really powerful imagery that's associated with strong emotional states and feeling. Now, there's also a lot of physical effects from it, uh, including um, dehydration, disorientation, nausea, and vomiting. Although they don't call it vomiting, they call it purging. And it's actually thought to be part of the healing process to, to vomit or purge. It doesn't happen to everyone, it doesn't happen every time, but it can. And that's why a lot of people that use it will fast the, the day of, um, or at least a number of hours ahead of time, so they're not you know, eating a big roast beef sandwich and then, and then throwing it up later. So that's kind of the, the, the basic rundown. If you're curious more about the, the details of it, you can just, there's great research and information on, on Wikipedia and such. So I'm not going to go too much deeper into that. That's just going to give you a context. Uh, the way people do it is there are shamanic circles and ceremonies where people will, that's kind of mostly how it's done. Um, and uh, those are mostly illegal, unfortunately, because this is not the kind of thing. It's not like a party drug. You're not like taking this at a rave and going, Wee! it's like a passage through the soul. I mean, it, like you're kind of non-functional during it in a lot of ways. And, uh, but you know, people will get in a, it's a kind of a circle. It could be anywhere from five people to, you know, 30 people often done at night. Often there is some sort of singing or music involved. And, um, if it's led by a shaman, then he's usually like making music and sounds. I remember when I did it, which I'll get more into my stories in just a moment, you know, he's like waving bird feathers and whistles and all kinds of interesting stuff. But often done in circles in that way and in darkness with singing. And uh, another way that it's done is through these churches. And uh, that's actually how I do it. It's, it's legal in Oregon. It's got um, whatever the exemption that was given to the Native American church that was fought for and won in, in Oregon to give it to what's called the Santo Daime Church, um, which is a church that was started by a rubber tapper. Form, he was a rubber tapper. Um, in the Amazon in the 1920s, maybe 30s or 40s. Um, again, you could probably find all this stuff out on, on Wikipedia. But anyway, he went there and met up with some Amazonian shaman dudes and uh, they introduced him to this and he drank it. Of course, all the visions and stuff he had were through his own religious background, which was Catholic. So he saw like Mother Mary came to him and told him to like start a religion with this stuff. So he did that and he basically got a couple of his friends, I think, and they just sat there. They drank and just sat there for like five hours and just meditated. And that's what their religion was. And then they started doing prayers and then they started doing hymns and songs and it's evolved and morphed. Now what a ceremony is like in the Santo Dami church 
is uh, one of the more common ones would be you sit in a, in a room with the lights on, so it's not all it's not dark, and you drink the ayahuasca, and then you sing hymns in Portuguese for like five to eight hours with multiple services of this of this drink, and that's it. Now, when I go to ceremonies, I'm usually not singing for five to eight hours because I don't have that high of a tolerance. These people do it more often. So I sing for a little bit. Then I like roll around (laughs) in the back of the room vomiting. And then I sit back in my seat and sing a little bit more. So I'm going to share more about, that's kind of the the quick rundown of of what this is. And I'm going to share more about my experience with it and why I believe it's a powerful cure for anxiety and uh, and, and an amazing source of confidence. So stay tuned. We'll be right back right after this. Does working with Dr. Aziz actually work? Can you really break free from social anxiety and live a life of confidence, success and happiness? Here is what one client had to say about his experience. What would I say to somebody considering coming to see Dr. Disease for a live weekend? Um, do it. I mean, don't stop it. Um, it's, it's what you need. If, you, if you're doubting it, just do it. I would definitely recommend Dr. Aziz to anyone who wants to improve their uh, confidence and social skills. Um, he's, I don't think anyone else out there is offering anything like what he does. It's, it's especially something that's so geared towards people who, um, you know, who, who kind of lack in the social confidence area. To get started on your journey towards lifelong confidence with Dr. Aziz, simply go to socialconfidencecenter.com forward slash coaching. Hey, welcome back. So why is this stuff uh, helpful and what what has it done for me to to help um, relieve anxiety? Well, what's fascinating and what I've noticed the most about it is it's a powerful way to face fear because I probably, it's probably the one of the strongest forms of fear that I feel in my life now is, is preparing to and going to do one of these ceremonies. And I don't do them off that often now. Um, I used to go semi-regularly, maybe once every month or two. Now with little kids and they're just totally opposite my schedule because they start at like 6 p.m. and I go to bed at like 8 p.m. usually and wake up at 3 or 4. So I basically haven't done one in a while. But, you know, I maybe go every four to five months now. That's what I like to shoot for twice a year. And the, the level of fear that I feel beforehand is striking. And I'm not talking anxiety, you know, because we all experience anxiety and like, oh, what if that person says this about me? And what if that happens? And what if, what if our garage floods in the rainstorm, right? That's just anxiety, not fear. I'm talking like fucking strong, uncomfortable fear. The kind of fear where I'm like driving, they call them works, by the way, in the, in the Santo Daime church, you know, a, a work, a healing ceremony or a work. When I'm driving to a work, I'm, part of me is like, just turn around and drive home. Drive off a bridge. Don't go. <laughs> and then, you know, you get there and, they're set up and then you're all sitting down and they say the prayers to open up the ceremony. And then you all line up uh, with men on one side and the women on the other to go get your service, your little shot glass of this ayahuasca. And I'm in line and part of me is like, run, run, run. (laughs) I just have to like breathe and calm myself. So that in itself is extremely valuable 
to, to be able to feel that much fear and face it is great because I don't, I mean, I do a lot of stuff at this point in my life that scares me, but it's not that spike of intense fear. That's like, you know, go face a wild beast kind of fear. And I think that's just really good for us to do. And the question you might have is, well, why are you so scared? What's going to happen? And it's something I've pondered before. And it's interesting because it's not, there's no real threat to me. The, the reason I think I'm so scared is because it's like a temporary melting of your ego and temporary letting go of all control. So the rational part of me that's like, this goes here, A goes to B, one plus one is two. I, that's a tree, that's a chair. I understand everything in this world and nothing is going to surprise me, right? That kind of certainty-oriented ego version of us just gets blasted the fuck out of nowhere, right? It's just, you just, you just have this um, uh, kind of opening. Um, what's his name? Aldous Huxley talks about the doors of perception. And he talks about how our mind in a lot of ways is like a, a reducing valve. Like there is so much information coming at us right now. And there's such a depth to everything around us that it's, it'd be freaking overwhelming if you were taking in all the sounds, all the sights, and not only that, but like all of the knowledge behind each of those things, like what a tree is made of and its life cycle and its roots and how it's connected to the earth. And, and if you really go down those rabbit holes, it's too overwhelming. So our mind is like a reducing valve that just cuts out 98% of it. And now you're just focused on typing something on your computer or making a sandwich. And you don't sit and think about wow, where did this bread come from? And what is the quality of it? And wow, look at all the little porous, you know, holes on the face of the surface of the bread. And, you know, I wonder, you know, the history of bread, how long it's been involved in humanity's life. You know, you don't, you don't go down all that. But when you drink this, in some ways you do, you open up that valve. So instead of 98% getting filtered out and only 2% getting in, maybe 10% gets in. And you just start to feel, and, and it's, there's a benefit to that, because you start to feel a sense of, of awe at the vastness of this life and how little we truly, deeply understand. And it can be overwhelming and it can be scary. And I've had this experience where it's like our mind feel, can feel so solid and certain as if it's made up of like angles and... Um, Think of like a city with skyscrapers. It's like sharp, hard angles. And then when you're on this, you're kind of like, wow, life's a lot more like, like there's nothing to sit on. There's no, nothing to hold on to. And I had this experience of almost like being in a river where you can't like, you can't just quite climb up onto the shore. It's like muddy banks on either side. And you just really have to let go and go with the current and go with the flow. And, and when you do that, at least for me, I feel a lot more. And I end up feeling a ton of emotion, um, of pain for the things that hurt me, of challenge or frustration at the things that might be uh, hard for me or make me angry, uh, sadness or grief at things in my own life or things that are beyond my control going on in the world or in the planet, things I kind of just shut down and don't think about too much because it's too painful. You f I feel all of that. And it's, that's part of, I think that's another reason why I get so scared is there's a part of me that's just afraid of feeling. Because at the end of the day, all of our fears are just fears of feeling. And here's like a dose of intense feeling that I'm going to experience 
that part of me is like, ah, I don't want to feel that much. I don't want to feel. And yet, when you do, and, and I learned this a lot from these ceremonies, is you just have to let go. Because if you're trying to figure everything out and you're trying to control your experience, oh man, you just get anxious and nauseous and vomit and feel terrified. <laughs> I remember the very, very first time I did it, it was in one of those shamanic circles. And I had no, I mean, I'd done some psychedelics before then, so I didn't think it would be that different, but it was way more uh, intense. And I remember being like all disoriented and freaked out. And so like I, you know, somehow signaled the shaman guy to come over and he came over and he's like, and I remember he like, he kind of held onto my hands and he had these big, thick, like sausage, rough finger hands, way bigger than mine. And I remember holding onto them and they were all warm. And he's like, tell me what's happening. And I'm like, uh, I don't even remember what I said, but something like, I'm really scared right now and I just want it to stop. And he said, well, I'm not going to stop for a while. I'm going to stop for a long time. <laughs> I was like, damn it, that's not what I needed to hear. But it was true. And, you know, I didn't know how to surrender that well then, but I've learned a lot more now to just breathe and surrender and let go of thinking and just go with the energy, go with the current. And that's an extremely valuable lesson for life too, because how much of life comes from our own fighting and resistance and suffering around this shouldn't be, I shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have done that. This should have happened earlier. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with that? And then there's just a lack of, of surrender in those situations of flowing with what's going to happen. And when we, this experience forces you to do that, forced me to do that. And if I don't, the suffering is immediate and intense as opposed to strung out over days or weeks, like in our own day-to-day -day life. It's kind of like a crash course where you have to surrender. And when you do, you know, things really open up and you can feel deep senses of peace, love, joy, awe for this life. And there's this kind of cleansing effect that I find where afterwards, after I kind of made it through the gauntlet, I feel so much lighter and just so, it's like my heart has been scrubbed and all the um, kind of rough edges, the, the armoring around the heart has been broken away. And I'm just so deeply um connected to how much I love the people in my life, how much I, I love my family, love my parents, love my kids, love my wife, and how much I, I feel connected to other people and, and my mission and what I'm doing here. And that's a place that I go to, to kind of recalibrate, you know, what am I doing on this planet? What is important? Why is this important? And, you know, what do I want to, what, what am I, what is my mission here? And we're actually going to talk more about that in just one moment. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and keep talking about ayahuasca and how it could potentially radically shift um, your approach to life. Hey, what's up, J-Dog? Sup, Wizzy? Nothing. Hey, man, I just saw this video on YouTube from this pickup artist, dude. He says he slept with 40,000 women. Damn. I know. He said if you want to hook up, you have to make fun of women so they want you. I can dig it. Word. I'm going to try it now with her. Check this out. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing okay. Cool. Cool. Your shirt is really big. It doesn't fit you very well. Uh, what a mean thing to say, jerk. Uh, yeah. It looks like the kind of shirt a woman who is much fatter than you are would wear. Ugh. 
Get away from me. Okay. How'd it go, man? Pretty good. She talked with me for like 30 seconds. Damn. That's a long time, man. Did you get her number? Almost. But then she had to go. Damn. Are you tired of pickup artist tactics and approaches that don't feel genuine? 30 Days to Dating Mastery teaches you proven confidence-building principles to increase your confidence with women, all while being yourself. No manipulative tactics needed. Go to 30daystodatingmastery.com to get your copy today. Welcome back. So, what does this have to do with you? <laughs> it's probably a great question. Well, you might just be interested in it. You might find it fascinating to learn about this thing that you might have never heard of. Maybe you've heard of it, but didn't really know much about it. Maybe this is something that you're called to do. I don't know. Again, remember, I'm not encouraging or condoning anything. But if you're of your own volition, you wanted to, you could uh, find out more about opportunities to do it. And in most states, as I said, it's not above ground. So you'd have to like uh, find out. But I, I believe that if you're really called to do it, it will come to you and you will find a way to make it happen. There'll be opportunities. If you just really intend, like, I want to do this, you'll find something will emerge in your world in your reality. Start looking around, start seeing, listening to people, interacting with people, and just seeing what, what emerges. Because if you're ready, you know, the teacher will appear kind of thing. I think that's, that's true with this. And how else does this relate to you? Well, even if you're never going to do this, you can take the lessons of this and apply it in your life. And one of them is what I was starting to touch on there before the break, which is about, well, basically, this is like a fast kind of shortcut way to get in much more connection with the spiritual side of life and of yourself. That's kind of what I've been alluding to in this episode when I talk about, you know, letting go of control, surrendering to something bigger, getting in touch with awe, cleansing our hearts so we can feel more love. I mean, these are qualities, these are reasons why people go to church or mosque or temple. This is, these are why people, reasons why people chant in the morning or why they pray is to feel more of these things in your life and then to get more of that guidance from your intuition, or if you have developed a spiritual side where you do communicate or have conversations with God, with Jesus, with whatever figure or mm, sort of construct helps you connect, then this is a way to strengthen that. And so if that's something you're drawn to, that might be a reason to, to strengthen it. Cause it's, it's like a f- direct, uh, main line to that. It's not some, well, you got to go to a church and kind of really strain to, to sort of feel it. It's like, holy shit, you can't ignore it. And another thing that really happens when I'm there is I feel humbled. <laughs> I really just get put in my place, you know, because I don't think of myself as an arrogant person. But there is sort of an arrogance, I think, in humanity and sort of like, in a way, we don't really know our place, right? It's like, the planet is mine. It's ours to do what we want with it. We'll fucking drill for the oil that we want. We'll cut down the forest that we want. You know, it's like we, and hey, we're all, I'm not pointing at any specific groups. We're all kind of a part of that. Like, if you look at what humanity's doing, we're sort of, you know, we're land grabbing. We're going for everything we can as a collective species. Even if, you know, some of us are morally opposed to that or something, it doesn't, we're all part of it. You know, I own fucking iPhone gadgets and stuff that's mined from, has minerals in it that are mined from Africa or, you know, I buy some peanut butter that's got palm oil that was grown in a 
fucking rainforest in Indonesia, right? So we're all part of this. And I just get humbled of kind of knowing my place after one of these experiences, you know, being on my hands and knees and vomiting into a bucket and crying <laughs> and just feeling fear. And, and uh, there's just this sense of like, wow, I don't know that much about this existence. I really don't. And I, I am not in as much control as I like to think I am during the day. You know, there's this element of like, I'm going to do this. I have to do this all on my own. And I think there's an, there's a humbleness of like, you know, I'm, I'm not doing this all on my own. I'm, I'm receiving a ton of guidance and support and all the things that I think I'm doing and accomplishing are, are who knows, like how much am I actually doing that? Or is it just happening through me? And so I leave kind of humbled in a way and much more connected to that guidance and what, you know, and you can think about that in your own life. Like, are, are you connected to something greater than yourself? Do you feel that way? And that's what I loved about it actually first happened with, um, I was hanging out or spending time with a mentor in Santa Barbara and I did mushrooms, uh, psilocybin mushrooms. And it was a very different experience. It was very like a ritual, like we set an intention beforehand and like through his guidance, it wasn't like I did it before with like some college buddies and I was like eating mushrooms and walking on the beach, which was amazing, but it didn't have this like kind of spiritual guidance to it that I got from my, my, one of my teachers, Marcelino. And that completely, that shifted, that, that shifted me from being an atheist to being, I guess, agnostic because up until that point I was like, people that believe in God are stupid. <laughs> just had like a chip on my shoulder um, probably because I felt like hurt and abandoned by God but that moment I was like holy shit this world is bigger and more there's so much going on that I don't even comprehend right now and it, and it popped my my arrogance and we can get connected to that through these substances and there's many other ways to do it, but this is a powerful way, especially if you're kind of entrenched in your mind and you're up in your head like I am a lot, then this really helps shift that. And it's a powerful, life-changing experience. It's not for everybody. And, you know, I wouldn't recommend it for everybody. And some people are, it's valuable. And some people I would say, certainly don't do that. You don't need that. I mean, because it can be kind of destabilizing if you're not fully solid in yourself. So, um, I, you know, obviously... Uh, different people could benefit in different ways from it and some people should not do it at all so that's ultimately up for your choice and that leads us to our action step for today time for action your action step for today has actually nothing to do with doing ayahuasca or not doing ayahuasca that's whatever whatever you want to decide around that your action step is actually for you to do like a little quick mini spiritual assessment or inventory uh, how connected do you feel to something bigger than yourself, a creative force? Does it seem like it's benevolent or has any sort of care for you? Do you feel guided in any way? Do you feel like an isolated, alone fragment in an uncaring, cold universe? Do you feel like there is a purpose or a mission for you here on this planet that you can tap into? Are you living it? Do you feel like there's a, a loving or a loving, forgiving energy that's accessible to you? 
Can you communicate with this force? Do you? These are interesting things to think about. And I think there's extremely valuable benefits to cultivating this side of yourself, whatever form it takes. Whether you want to, you know, and I've done sweat lodges for years. So whether you want to pray to different elements, you want to uh, drink South American psychoactive tea, you want to go sit in a church, you want to meditate and find your own path to connect. But whatever it is, if there's something you can do to strengthen that, I would highly recommend that because that's one of the most protective factors against fear and anxiety and stress too. And and getting you back into self-love and uh, finding your way in the world without being so anxious and stressed all the time. Extremely protective and, and healthy factors there. So definitely worth cultivating, finding your way to that. And thank you for being with me on this meandering journey into the world of ayahuasca. And until we speak again, may you have the courage to be who you are and to know on a deep level that you're awesome. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Shrink for the Shy Guy with Dr. Aziz. If you know anyone who can benefit from what you've just heard, please let them know and send them a link to shrinkfortheshyguy.com. For free blogs, ebooks, and training videos related to overcoming shyness and increasing confidence, go to socialconfidencecenter.com.